education. The good, the bad, and the what the f- So this is the second episode of Education, the Good, the Bad, and the WTF. Uh, of course, I'm John Hill, and I'm back, as well as... Patrick Adams. And we have joining us today... Robert Skill. All three of us work together at the same school. Uh, we all teach different subjects for the most part and varying grades. And we all have different amounts of experience. Uh, Robert, how long have you been teaching? This is going into my second year. Now, what made you decide to come into teaching? Well, I had a great ag teacher in high school who, who made the transition an easy thing for me because I was not a great student. I learned very early on that I had something maybe to offer kids because I didn't grow up with very much. And that's what brought me to this. Uh, that led me into Future Farmers of America, which also led me to competing at the state and national levels. Uh, stuff that I never thought I would ever be able to do. And they asked me, you know, as, as you know, they drop us kind of into the, the bowl, so to speak, and go, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? The other thing I knew how to really do was print T-shirts and cut grass. And I'm thinking, cut grass is a drag. Let's see what <laughs> this other thing's about. So a couple of years and about 30 grand later, here I am. Where'd you go to school? Uh, are we talking about high school? Or University. Uh, University of Auburn. Auburn? Yes, sir. Auburn University. Uh, it just sucks. I know, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm at War Eagle. Yeah, I know. He's an Auburn fan. It just... Y'all like to eat, don't you? Yeah. We're on the opposite sides of that one, but it doesn't really matter on the big picture. All right. Yeah, everybody wants to eat. Everybody wants a paycheck and food. I eat a little bit more than I should, but, you know, eat too much, sleep too much. It's all good. Decent chicken grease. Yeah. It'll work. So when, did, when were you in high school? I was in high school from, I think, 2009 to 2013. Of course, I did not skip any grades or anything like that. Uh, the first couple of years were touch and go there <laughs> for a hot second. But uh, things got a lot better once I got into basically having a reason to be there. When did you start college? I started college um, pretty much directly after uh, high school. I went to a junior college. Because my grades were not good enough. I didn't have the right study background, anything like this. I put it this way. I had every remedial class, just about, except for lunch. But <laughs> that, uh, so we get in there, and I had a beautiful uh, grammar and English teacher who, who spent time, and that was another one of those things that pushed me to want to get into education because I saw what good it could actually do. That's pretty much how I ended up where I went. Nice. Uh, if you end up in a remedial lunch class, you've done something wrong, and it's probably more than the university can help you with. <laughs> I can't use a spork, man. It's a drag. Hey, my spork lunch, is the greatest thing ever. My lunch <laughs> class was more uh, creative expression. I would just bring whatever leftovers I had and mix it all together. <laughs> I finished high school in the mid-90s. He finished in 2000. You were 13 years later. So we've got a decent little spread on the different ages and the different time periods. So I imagine when we start talking about technology, our experiences with technology were a lot different as well. And even with the different time periods, a lot of it depends on where you were, what your school had, how much money or funding they had. Because, you know, you get into some of these schools that are Title I schools and they have tons of technology more than they will ever use because 
they are in such a low socioeconomic group that they tend to get tons of grants for technology, which is nice, but also kind of sad at the same time because they get all this money for technology, but then they get no money for the rest of the things like, you know, maintaining the school or having staff or those types of things. So technology is outstanding. The school's falling apart, but millions of dollars in technology running through the building. Worked at one of those schools where they had so much Title I funding, the library literally had a closet full of laptops, tablets. Uh, she had some artistic tablets that she gave me just to see what I could do with them. All of them still wrapped in plastic in the boxes because she did, She was one of two people in the building. I was the other one that even had the inclination to try to learn how to use them. And as far as I know, they're still in boxes at that school, which I left several years ago. But that, that, was, that was the idea. There was one assembly the principal had. He was up there at the podium. And he went to adjust the microphone a little bit and the mic stand literally broke off of the podium in his hand. And he was just sitting there and he just laughed it off and said, ah, we're a Title I school. And he just kind of like jammed it back down on the podium. <laughs> we were having a good chuckle. It's like, yeah, that's that's basically it. We got 50 grand worth of tablets in the closet and we can't have a good podium. Yeah. And that's like when I was student teaching, um, we had something similar to that, the ag teacher that I was working under, he had a closet full of those types of iPads and projectors. It would be, I mean, really, you named it in there, and it was in a box, and they didn't, they just didn't have the room, the space, and he didn't know how to use it, and it was, it was really insane. We had one of those routers that you uh, set with a computer, like, almost like a little baby CNC that would run, and it was very cool. I figured out how to use it, but where I found it was in that closet. It was just going to be there because he didn't have the time or the programs or whatever to actually run the thing. So by the end, we had kids making cool little things that could stick on birdhouses. Well, that's what, you know, I came from an area where we were a 5A school, decent-sized school. In middle school, our technology, we had computer, we had a computer lab. Uh, now they were all green screen. It's just kind of an odd thing to think about now because the only time you ever see green screen type displays now is in like a video game when they're, you know, like Fallout where they're making fun of almost of this old ancient technology that just doesn't exist anymore because they don't even make those anymore. But, you know, we got to, there was a little bit of programming and it was all uh, Microsoft DOS based. And so it was actual, a lot of it was actual binary. So you were trying to figure out how to like draw a, little pixelated penguin by setting the, doing the binary code. It was really obnoxious and annoying, but it was still pretty cool at the same time. And then of course you get to play Oregon Trail and everybody was happy until they died of dysentery and that was the way it went. Then when we went up to high school, we had a nice computer lab at the high school. Uh, everything kind of shifted over to color screens about halfway through and we had this beautiful auditorium and the school was nice. Um, Lots of technology in the building, but it was very limited to very specific spots. In a standard classroom, there really wasn't technology. There was an overhead projector and a teacher's computer, and that was it. Then you had the lab that was sacred holy ground there because they could not afford to replace that stuff if you did something stupid. Uh, Mr. Hill State still hates penguins. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Did you, have, did you have the state where you had the older teachers that had a computer in their room, but the thing was just gathering dust 
Of course. Because they never touched the Yeah, thing. it was a paperweight. Oh, oh, they were so angry at uh, my high school when they told them they had to start putting attendance in. Computer. So, I don't know how to use that thing. A lot of us, I mean, we couldn't afford computers in our house either. That really kicked in early 2000s in my area where people start, couldn't afford them because the price came down. Um, my first computer, my grandmother actually bought it for me. And she wanted, She said, well, this is the future, so you need to be up on it and know how to use it. And uh, that Gateway Astro was uh, space-age technology to me when I got it with its 4.4 gig hard drive. I got my first computer in the, um, in the mid to late 80s. And it was when Apple would still allow clones. So it was Apple compatible. It was a laser computer. I got the computer and the monitor for Christmas. Since my birthday's in January, I got a printer for my birthday because they couldn't afford to, the computer was so expensive, they couldn't afford really to buy anything else. So they just kept the printer for a month and gave it to me later. You know, it had no hard drive. Everything was on five and a quarter floppy disks. You know, you load the game in, it saves the information or whatever on there. If you do typing, it saves it on the floppy disk. Every time you wanted to do something different, you had to take that floppy disk out and load a new one in. That was the uh, that was the fun of being five years younger in that regard. Because when I bought my Gateway Astro, it came with a free printer. I think they were more amazed that somebody was buying that thing. And they were even running that special even when I started getting into the faces of computers. Because I got my dad's old he had an old Windows computer, and put it this way. My dad's done church graphics his whole life. See his computer parts laying around like it was a graveyard. So he takes all of these pieces. So I've got like gateway tower. I've got like a Acer or something thing here that may as well have been a TV or a microwave because at that point it was all kinds of crooked. And we set that up, but they were running a promotion. Bought what kind of it was a real low-end Windows, but you got a printer to go along with it. I figured out that the ink cartridge is more expensive than the printer itself, and that just kind of ruined it for me after that. That, that, was, that was the commonplace thing around my house was when my, I ran out of ink, and the ink replacement was 50 bucks, and they were running a sale on printers for $20, and it came with free ink cartridges. You I'm just like, buy a new printer. I'm about to update my printer, and this thing is, uh, I'm about to recreate that scene from Office Space. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's what, you know, it's like the printer I have in my room now. Now they've started some, which... Primarily, the ink cartridges are still so much more expensive than the printer itself. You know, I got a printer that has tanks in it so that you refill them, and it's cheaper to buy the ink. But the printer itself costs a lot more up front because they're not making the money on the back end on the ink as much as they were. And I mean, I can even buy generic ink and refill it with a massive amount of ink for like $15. printer itself is an 11 by 17 printer it was almost seven hundred dollars it's very nice and it's cheap to run it's not cheap up front that's the biggest difference when they went okay we'll figure out a way to give you cheap ink we're gonna get your money somewhere yeah and that's what you know uh that computer i had and my second computer was a gateway when i started college and it had one of the early graphics cards and it was 128 megabytes and that was just the top of the line expensive graphics card now is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. The basic ones are one to two gigabytes, and the standard is between four and eight gigabytes for a video card. So, 
but you know, times have changed a lot, obviously, because as we've grown up, we've seen a lot of it change, and the technology in the classrooms have changed. What is the biggest issue you come across with the technology that we have now? What kind of problems do you have? Obviously, there are a lot of great things. There's a lot of great technology out there, but they all come with their own problems, their own individual issues, things that we have to learn to deal with. So what are some of the problems that you've seen or had with technology? Most of the time, in my case, it's with compatibility, and it's the uh, the idea that now this is uh, forewarning. I, I carry around an Android, and I have all Windows PCs at home. So when uh, they give us new computers at school and they're all Apple products, and it's like, oh, hello, learning curve. Okay, it's like, why does this thing only have one button? Why is this one? Where, where? Why cannot print screen and go straight to MS Paint and then create a graphic from that and crop it? And I will say that uh, in our school system, I think I have the only PC laptop left. I think it's uh, because I've taken great care in making sure that not many people know I still have it. But that's the idea is if I, can, if I need to get down and get something done fast, I can do it on the PC laptop. If I have a little bit of time to get it done, um, I do like the Apple computer's display because it is larger and I can have all these windows open at once and compare that if I need to look at it. But mainly it's just the devices talking to each other, like the, the TV going to the laptop and you know, it's being slower because they, ne- they never send a school the high end of anything. It's usually an end run of something that they discontinued and then they send you that and you instantly get the warning that the software it's running is out of date and it needs to update, but you can't update without an admin passcode. And it's just, it's like they give you something to help you, but then it's like, oh, by the way, here's eight hurdles you have to jump through to actually use it. But uh, I I was a 90s kid. Uh, you, were, you were a few years ahead of me, but it, it gets to the point where you realize that you were born in a very odd time where you're in high school and they're using a slide projector and you get to college and they're using PowerPoint. So it's like, whoa, I didn't even know this stuff existed. And now I don't know that I could really teach without it because I'd be burning through about nine dry erase markers a week trying to teach what I teach. And especially with, with what, what I've got, which is I pretty much went from zero to 100 in that I had you know, no background to speak of with real computers other than like Mr. Adams was saying, I'm Android, Windows, whole nine, like it dropped into a classroom with a box in it. Box has got 30 plus uh, Apple laptops in it. And okay, here you go. Uh, so pretty much what, what I had to do was figure out the compatibility number one. And also one of my biggest problems is the learning curve. I'm getting better and learning to roll with the punches, but a lot of times it's things that either don't work together or the version that I have does not work correctly with whatever, or it's missing part of something. And I guess from a student's perspective, a lot of issues that I'm having, I guess, would be the fact that they can't always like hook together, log into the right stuff without having certain passcodes and password certain things which is fine but sometimes you just need to get things done and you don't have to go through the whole process but that's what i had to learn and and you kind of learn i feel like a spider on a hot plate a lot of days because it's one of those at some point i'm gonna fall through this and we just do our best well and that's what even though the learning curve never goes away at a certain point 
it's not as steep because you've at least picked up the basics on a lot of the different types of technology and you go, okay, I've seen this, I've seen this. I don't really know what it's doing beyond that, but I at least know how to get in and get started and then I can figure out the rest as I go. And that's what a lot of things I do. And people call me and say, hey, I've got a problem with so-and-so. Do you know what to do? And if I don't, I go, all right, let me look into it. In case you're wondering, looking into it means Google. I'm pulling up Google and I'm going to start asking about 20 different questions, wording it in different ways, because how you word your search result questions makes a huge difference in the results you get. And I'm going to be searching for answers and possibilities, and I may find a partial answer that turns into a new search so that I can continue that till I can figure out the end result and actually get to where we need to get. And then sometimes I have to just look at y'all and go, yeah, no, I can't do that. We can't do that. You're out of luck. It's not going to work. 30 minutes later and about eight deep dives into tech forums, you find one customer that said, hey, I found out what worked. And that's how I solved half of my problems. Some dude out there finally had the same problem I did. And uh, yeah, I had one and this was actually just trying to get a video game to work on my computer at home, and it kept giving me a graphic warning. And I was like, what's wrong with this thing? Looking on three, four hours, I was sitting there going, I was like, what is wrong with you? And I started tapping on the side of my computer tower, and one side of it was glass, so you could see all the LEDs inside. I tapped on it, I was like, that gun, that's cool. that was really hot. Unscrewed it, and I was getting, actually, it was mislabeling a graphic warning for a heatseek warning. The computer was overheating and shutting the game down. So I took the glass off the side, have not had a single issue yet. But anytime you do have a tech problem, it doesn't always mean that what it's telling you is the exact problem. And that's just something through experience, you just have to sit there and, you know, phrase it. You have to monkey with it because you end up looking like a monkey with a stick in your hand and ready to throw it at somebody because this thing will not do what you want it to. And that's... That's essentially what they hand us every time. They hand us something that's like, here, this will help you do this. And it's like, no, you just handed me another problem. Well, and that's, you know, technology changes so quickly. Oh, yeah. And they try to stay up to date, try to stay connected with what's going on in the world. The problem is we tend to adopt so fast that we don't have time to learn it before the new thing is being adopted. It's nice that we switched from PCs to max only in the sense that we went from a half and half system where some people had Mac, some people had PCs to the vast majority of it is all in the same operating system. So at least problems can seem to have a common solution and I don't have to teach 50 different things. Yeah, the compatibility issue between files that you're sending on school emails, that disappears when you're all linked up on the same OS at least. And people like me who are you know windows babies we all sit there and play with it that is a good thing about you know being our age group is since we had to grow up having to learn a new technology we're not shying away from learning new stuff when it comes to us even though i mean we're in our 40s it still is like okay well solve harder problems than this before and you just dive in and you just tackle it head on because i mean well you can't just avoid using something because eventually you're going to get left behind and it doesn't take too long like you said things update very fast well that's what you know we were in high school everything was paper and pencil we had the computer labs in some of the schools and some didn't you had slide projectors and you had the little reel-to-reel projectors and the overhead projectors and 
then, uh, you know, when I went to college, which was by the time you were going into high school, they still, you know, most of your college professors were using slide projectors. Oh, yeah. And you heard that click, 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 click as it changed over. Uh, then, you know, my senior year was the first time that I actually had a class that existed within a computer lab. And it was only part of the time. Majority of the time, we were still doing our graphic design work by hand, cutting everything out individually and all these different things. And then we finally got into the lab, and it's just like, holy crap, I don't know how to do any of this on the computer. I've never seen it before. This is brand new software. And even the teacher's just like, you know, this is new for me. So we're all trying to figure it out as we go. Because he can sit there with anything by hand and show you how to take it apart with exacto knives and glue and all this different stuff. Uh, film cameras and everything and masking things off. But when you got onto the computer, it was a whole different world. That's like uh, my dad, when I was younger, he, he's used the same set of software suites for everything he's done for a long time. He's CorelDRAW. And so he, he made me learn how to use CorelDRAW and vectors, some of the hotkeys and stuff. And so when I got here, yeah, panicked, but also had that kind of feeling like I've been here Kind of. It's, uh, I've learned two things, and I, I use it with my kids, and I'm sure they laugh at me because I'm kind of the weird middle ground between, like, a dinosaur and a kid. But it's, I'm, I'm pretty much an El Camino of a human being. But we, uh, it's when in doubt, escape out, and Control-Alt-Delete will fix almost anything within reason. And, and there's if, if you wait in a minute, an update will come because I get about eight of those married messages about every day, so I might just need to come week but <laughs> yeah, that's just the standard philosophy of teachers in general is if you don't like what they just handed down for you to do just give it about five minutes they'll they'll rabbit trail off onto something else that's the best, best thing but probably another episode well and that's what even with the advent of all this incredible technology um a lot of people still make the mistake of depending on it technology will fail yep and you have to have plans in case it does oh, we have this huge project. It's going to be done on this, 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 and this, and none of that's working today. So, well, what, what do we do today? you got to have plans. you got to be prepared for that. I had a teacher in college, grad school. When I went back to grad school, PowerPoints, everything at this point in time. And if she could not get her PowerPoint to work, she canceled class. And here's the thing. We were all required to print out a copy of the PowerPoint before we came to class. And all she was going to do was read the PowerPoint to us. And yet, if she could not get the PowerPoint to project, she would cancel class and we're like, but we have it. We have it in front of us. What what are you going to do with that projector that you can't do with just this piece of paper? It's the same thing. You're not doing anything special. You know, she wasn't, she didn't have video going with it and all this other stuff that she had to have that. We had the exact same thing that was going to be on the board. And it was kind of sad because this was a grad school professor who had no ability to adjust when something went wrong. There was a, that, I've never seen a professor, especially in grad school, half the time they didn't even have PowerPoints ready for their grad school classes because they were so specified into a certain topic that they would have had to have made an entire new series of PowerPoints just for that. And they knew it all off the top of their head because that's what they had, you know, done their dissertations on. 
So I don't remember any PowerPoints from grad school aside from your standardized that everyone had to take. If it was kind of, you know, Russia since 1815 or something, then that was just all taught by one person straight out of their head. We'd read sources, we'd write papers, but I don't remember any PowerPoints. And uh, if a PowerPoint failed me, then I had a book of notes in front of me just to remember, hey, I need to cover all this because that's on the exam. And then I was like, okay, and just put my cell phone on the desk, turn the light on, because usually if the PowerPoint wasn't working, the power had gone off at the college. And then you just put the light on your notebook and say, okay. And then you go to chalk and talk, put it on the board, just roll with it. Because again, it we, we always call them technology trap. If you lean on a crutch too hard, it's going to break. Right. Well, and that's what we had uh, several that all they used the PowerPoints for were for outlines anyways. Here's a series of statements. This is what we're going to cover today. I'm just going to tell you most of it. All this is showing you what we're doing, not all the information that you need. And, you know, I really wish some of them had just been like, here's a packet of all the information you need. Read this. Because so many, oh, oh God, those introductory to grad school education classes, the, the legal class where they go through all the different laws and everything was the most boring thing I have done just about ever. And because it, it was just the laws over and over and over and I continue. I took one uh, one grad school level course because I, I literally sat on my advisor's desk. I didn't want to waste my time. I had extra time to be there, and uh, I didn't want to waste my time. I didn't want to waste my money either. So I sit on this man's desk until he signed a piece of paper saying I could take it. Luckily, I worked for the professor. It was agronomy, crop, and soils. So I, I, I worked for the professor, and so we did that. It happened one day. The PowerPoint failed, the whole thing did, and she goes, well, claps her hands together and gathers us all up and says, well, we're going to do this in the real world. She goes then to grab soil sample tubes and uh, shovels. We took manual soil sample tests, and we did the tests right there. And so it was it was hilarious. We went through all of that stuff. It went from PowerPoint to, okay, let's start getting the dyes out, and we're, we're running them through sieves all this other stuff. So I was like, wow, that's somebody that knows what they're doing. And then so. Well, that's when you've got to be prepared for those types of things because we look at it, all of our testing is online now. We don't really do any standardized testing on paper anymore. It's all online. Uh, all of our devices, we have iPads, laptops, uh, desktop computers, and it's all connected to the network. And if something happens to the network, none of it works. You know, our smart boards connected to the internet, Apple TVs connected to the internet. Network goes down and everything falls apart. So, you know, and the thing is, like, our Wi-Fi that we have, yeah, we have issues with it. However, our Wi-Fi, when they put it in, was really good system. The problem is the technology is growing in the building faster than the system that they put in place can deal with. So now they're having to go back and re-upgrade all of the Wi-Fi networks in all the schools because they can't handle the sheer amount of technology that's in the building. Most of our nodes are designed to carry, I think, uh, 30 to 35 devices, but they're only in every so many rooms. So if you have three rooms connecting to the same thing, you might have 90 devices attempting to connect to something that's designed for about 30, and it's going to fail. I'm terrified of when standardized testing comes around and we try to, because everything is going to be the entire school at one time on iPads and computers. And it's, it could be rough. I guess last year was the first time I ever watched 
the attempt for that and and i've never seen somebody juggle chainsaws but that's got to be the closest thing to it because at any point you were half expecting it to all go black and it's going to be lord of the flies waiting on you right down there <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh what was the uh we had an episode i was i was in grad school and i was working as work study in a computer lab and for whatever reason this has got to be one of the dumbest things that i've ever seen a college do they upgraded microsoft office in the middle of the semester so all of their projects and I worked in the business department with accounting and uh, MBAs and all these. They had all their projects saved in the previous version of Microsoft Windows, and they upgraded to the next one. They were not reverse compatible at all. So all these kids are panicking because they've got midterms due in two days, and none of their projects work. And they actually had to backtrack, uninstall everything off the mainframe reinstall it so it would go out on deep freeze and then the next day at 2 a.m. it would put them back out in the, all the computers. And I had two or three professors come up to me and one of them was head of the business department and he just said, okay, this is what I need you to do. Figure out how to use this dead gun. I think it was Microsoft Office, maybe, was it 07? It went from 03 to I think 07 then 10. Something like I that. I think it was something like that, but they went from one to the other and they went back to, I think it was 03, he came to me and said, learn everything you can. Learn how to use PowerPoint, learn how to use Excel, learn how to use Word. I'm gonna come back in a couple of weeks, leave the, like, the central hub of the computer lab was the only one that kept that new version on it. And my job was to just learn how to use that. And one afternoon I expected him and maybe another professor to come in and me show them how. I had 25 professors come in there and they were just wanting me to show them how to use all this stuff because like, they're gonna make us upgrade next year. And I'm like, how did y'all do this in midterm? They said, we didn't get paid to make that decision. I was like, that's what you were saying earlier. They're in such a hurry to upgrade, to be on the next version, to be on the newest thing that they forget that, did you look at all the stuff on this? Did you see, was it reverse compatible? Because you've got upwards of 5,000 students here that are all on 03 and you went to 07 and you didn't find out anything about it first. So that you didn't see like the, the uh, little problem we're having right now where none of the tablets will connect to the internet and they're the ones that gave it to us. Like, you didn't you didn't check this beforehand, really? Well, and that's what, they actually got that part fixed pretty quickly, but we still have several apps that won't install and it's just a bug in the system somewhere. The good part is, you know, with us being all on the same, for the most part, on Apple products, it's at least when we get something new, it falls into the ecosystem well. But also, you know, a lot of the problems like you were talking about with software would upgrade and you, it wouldn't be backwards compatible to previous documents and other types. That doesn't really happen anymore. Now the new versions are almost always backwards compatible to... Now, a lot of times when it opens that older form, it goes, hey, we're going to convert this to the newest form like so us? that it's up to date. Would you like us to run this in compatibility mode? Yes, please. Dear yeah. Lord, do that. Yes, please fix it. Please take care of it so I don't have to deal with this. Please turn this Model T into a new version. I would like a Ferrari. Yeah. Yay. No. I took a best class, one of the best classes I ever took in the community college, which I love community colleges. The best one I ever took was a lady who taught me basics of computers, which essentially she taught me the basics of the Word, the, the, the old suite there, and all of its things. Now, I made that poor woman earn her money because <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. I have a question every other 10 minutes but 
she uh, she she explained how that worked to me with as it updates. Just make sure that you you know got all your files saved there and saved somewhere else just to back it up. But it was beautiful. I panicked. It we were putting together something in an Excel spreadsheet. Which Excel still locks my mind up a little bit, but I would get about halfway through it and I went, "Oh, it's gone! It's gone! Oh, it's not quick, but boom! There we go. We're okay." Yeah, the undo is uh, an amazing addition added to any software. Oh, that is beautiful. Patrick, go back, go back, go back, go back. I didn't mean to do that. But uh, well, that's what you know. When I went back to grad school, I'd been in Alabama and I worked for the Crimson White. And I used computers there, and I worked for the Tuscaloosa News, used computers there, and we all used Macs where everything else, everywhere else were PC. But that was it. Macs were primarily in creative-type offices and situations where your standard office work was always done on a Windows computer. So when I came back to grad school, I mean, that was 15 years ago. And a lot of the kids that were in my grad school class in my cohort they had no idea how to deal with a computer because they never really had to other than the occasional writing an essay or a paper. And now everything is on the computer. I mean, you look at our system, we have power schools and school status, and we have Clever, and Clever pulls together tons of other websites and programs. Everything's managed through Microsoft Office, which I think is funny that we have through office when we have Macs. It just seems kind of strange that we went, we're going away from Microsoft, but we're keeping this big part of it. Yeah. But that has that's the whole privacy issue and other things that go into that that it's all kind of legalese crap that's not worth getting into. But you know, the kids and we it's it's always so funny because we see the kids come into class and you always expect that, all right, these kids are gonna have a decent technological background because they've grown up with all of this their entire life. And now they don't know crap. A lot of them can't turn on a computer. They can't, they don't know how a flash drive works. They can work their phone, but only in a very limited scope. If it's not on social media, texting, or making phone calls, most of them don't have a clue. I don't know. I've, I've met teenagers before in high school that didn't know how to look back through their call history. To find a number that called them. And I was like, seriously, like, how long have you had this phone? Like, you're in such a race to get a new piece of technology and you can barely touch 5% of its capacity. Like, if, if you made a phone where it would not install a social media app, they'd probably throw it in the garbage because it's, I mean, it's not used to them. They, that's the whole purpose to have it. And I can't remember what one of my professors in grad school said as they never any point in the history of the human race have we had so much information at our fingertips and we've been so stupid oh yeah we know so little of it i mean they have access to almost all the world's knowledge that we have collected and written put into digital form and none of them have any desire to look at it whatsoever they're all just okay what can it do to entertain me it's like no this is this is like the best research tool ever. Like if I asked you to write a paper and wiped out all technology from it, just go to the library and write me a paper, they would be, I, someone would probably break down and start crying because they have no clue they where to even start. Well, yeah, they also couldn't copy and paste somebody else's work. Oh yeah. That's like uh, one of the things that, and that's something that I was really afraid of stepping in there. But yeah, I thought I was going to be at such a disadvantage because those kids come in and you automatically think, oh, they're going to know so much. But when in reality, I went back to the basics that I knew. 
which is command C to copy, or yeah, command C to copy, command V to paste, uh, different little odds and ends like that that they couldn't really fathom. And like he was saying, I had him look up jobs, how to apply for a job. He thought I'd ask him to build a bomb. They could not grasp how, okay, this is where you go. This is what you're looking for. This is how you apply. So it was it was a very big eye-opener for me just to see kind of how, yes, in the one sense, they can do things that I never thought about doing, but on the reverse, they can't function unless it's sitting right there in front of them. I like the eye-opener better when I teach them about taxes. <laughs> they have no concept of just how much of their money is going to disappear before they even get it. They're, all they know is what they see on TikTok and Instagram. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a YouTuber and I'm going to make millions of dollars. And when I actually go through how much a YouTuber makes just based on views, it's like you have to get sponsorships, which means you have to have a product or a service that's worth sponsoring that based on your views. First, you have to get the views based on your entertainment value. And I was like, I'm sorry, but what can any of you do that a million other people out there can't? Some of them are doing it better than you are. I said, this is essentially you're interviewing for a job that's harder than an actual job. I was like, you're trying to beat out millions. When you go to interview for a, your first job, you might be trying to beat out five people. The better the job, the easier the job, the higher the pay, the more competition is going to be. But being an online personality and staying valid long enough to actually retire from something like that I mean, that's, that's a needle in a haystack right there. You're not going to find something like that. And they've got to be able to produce material at a rate to keep people entertained, occupied, and coming back. Because if they go a couple of months between broadcasts, then people are going to forget about them. So it is a constant circle that has, has to keep moving and moving. I listened to a guy the other day who does an art channel, and... One of the things he was talking about was even he fell into getting into some of these little fad things that people were doing to draw in listeners and people to watch his channel on YouTube while it worked. He said he also felt like absolute crap because he had gone away from what he had meant for his channel to be just so that he could draw people in. And he was working on shifting his back to his original concept because he still got a lot of viewers, but... The new format, it was more about people wanting giveaways and all this kind of stuff, and not people who actually wanted the information he was trying to give. And it's it's one of those things that it seems to change day by day, and it's like uh, it's people's attention spans begin to kind of shorten, it seems like it's changing at more than a rapid rate than what they can actually put out. And what, what I don't think people really grasp about it is the fact that unlike musicians, unlike that genre, comedians even, you could take a little bit of a hiatus between albums or what have you, when now in, in reality you have to, because if not, you're going to be set aside. Not only that, but you also have to be dropping, most of them do merch of their own, which that's a whole other you know, economy of scale there. Where can you sell these items? Do, are people familiar enough? purchase these items i mean are they relevant are they you know then you work in distribution channels and a whole other host of things that people just it's an easy answer that's what i'm going to do because that's what they've seen they don't dig any deeper well that's what a lot of them will talk about you'll hear them uh, i want to build games for a living i want to program games 
It's fantastic. Have you ever done that? Do you realize how boring that is? It's not that there's no great payoff to it, but the sheer amount of work that goes into every little bitty thing is tremendous. And that's why I did have a student this year tell me that it just wasn't as fulfilling as she thought it was going to be. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is the reality of it. You have got to set yourself up for the payout is at the end. You're not going to get instant gratification as you go through this. You know, you got to be able to have little victories that make you happy going toward the big victory at the end. And then you may still make something that nobody wants to play and you have to start over. There's always exceptions to the rule, but they are so far and few between. They always want to point out Minecraft. And I actually had a friend that was in uh, an online school with the guy who developed Minecraft. And it, it was like a weekend project that he came up with. And I mean, yeah, that's one like in a million that he found a little gimmick that people attached to. And it was so simple and people liked the manipulative object. But I mean, he worked tirelessly on that thing. It was simple, but just adding new features was a huge object. And then was it, um, uh, one of my latest favorites. I, I'm still playing Red Dead Online, but Red Dead Redemption 2 took nine years of development. If you want a game that actually will turn heads and people say it's beautiful, it's groundbreaking, it's got all this stuff, it takes, I mean, upwards of a decade to make it. And who's to say by the time you get done and it's ready to roll out, number one, it's still going to have bugs. People are still going to complain. And they, they don't understand it. I, this is one thing I would say. They are, their wallet is ready to make the money of a millionaire YouTuber, but their ego is nowhere near it. Because all they have to do is like, yeah, it's fun to sit back and read the comments when it's not talking about you. Right. And I was like, they do not have the ego to sit there because they think, I was like, oh, I'm going to hide behind the keyboard and I'm going to say what I want to online. And I was like, what about if that's talking about you? Can you handle the criticism and keep marching on? And that's why a lot of times you see videos and you ask them, do you read the comments? And they go, no, I don't read the stuff about myself and uh, one of the, the most daring thing I've ever heard a comedian say was, I Googled myself. And we're like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And he said, there was all these pages about why I should die. <laughs> so like, that's, I mean, that's something you got to be prepared for. For every million people out there that like you, there's probably just as many that hate your guts just because you don't appeal to what they like. And I mean, that's something I've dealt with. The more famous you are, the more people are going to hate you and the more vocal they're going to be about their hatred toward you. I will say that for every, was it for a teacher, for every one or two students that give you hope, there's a lot more in that classroom that make you worry. And with the technology influencing the classroom, it influences it through the parents too, because I know so many art teachers that are absolutely being harassed by the these Instagram moms that see these little arts and crafts projects on Instagram say, you should do this. It's like, what is that teaching them? What concept is that teaching them? They're not learning about design concepts. That's just copying someone else's work. Now, if I just hand them some sheet music from an old songbook and then say, here's some cardboard sheet music glue, make me a Christmas ornament, and they have to come up with themselves. But I guarantee you the first thing anyone is going to do is they're going to go straight to Pinterest or Instagram and see what someone else has done. It's like, is there an original thought in your head or has those social media sites stolen from you? I have no idea what I was about to say. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the same way in a little bit because some of the folks that we have to deal with working through them and some of the others, 
uh, we get that a lot. Things that we're supposed to teach and things that we're supposed to do, but then I have to dial it back. Not only what does this teach them, but you got to think, what does this for? What can these kids that I'm dealing with on a daily basis? What can they have? Because those a lot of times are two separate things. I have a bad tendency sometimes to put the cart before the horse, and then I realize, oh no, I've got to step it back. And especially as it relates to when you get into some of the higher uh, thinking processes that are involved, it's we used to call something like what you're talking about, the monogram moms. They were the ones that wanted everything fancy and monogrammed, but especially in the South, it's a huge thing. But we would always get at least one order, or two orders every year. Did you do such and such and such and such? But those are nine to one for whatever reason. And all, all I could ever ask is give me something that's original. I mean, we can work with that. Weird I can deal with all day long. I love that because I'm a left-handed monkey ranch myself. But give, give me something that's a little strange and, and, and we can work with it, especially if it's organic and it's well thought out and somebody put all into it. I'm not trying to elicit sympathy for teachers, but just know that we're working with like a five-sided scale here. You have to do something that the is going to please the administration with all the stuff they handed you at the beginning of the year. Maybe, you know, halfway through the year, maybe the meeting you just had, they say, you need to do more of this got to balance that with what the parents want to see that they're doing with what the students will actually get involved with which is gradable by any metric whatsoever and feels like they're actually learning the concept because sometimes the concept they need to learn is not even in the standards that you're trying to cover and that's another one so you've got all these things that you're trying to check the box on to try to teach the kids and then it's like the commentary starts. It's like, well, did you address this standard? Or it's like, my kid hates your class because all you do is this. It's like, I, I can't help that because I was like, it uh, depends on what subject you're teaching because some of them are more abstract concepts. And if you are hitting that before the child's brain development has even hit that stage yet, then basically, I mean, you're doing an uphill struggle anyway. And then they said, oh, you need to incorporate more of this. It's like they're having trouble writing their name on their paper. And you're wanting me to get a paragraph out of them about an abstract concept involving something they've never witnessed in their life. It's like, well, and then the everything uh, they work with in a daily in their daily life, talking about social media and everything has character limit. And it has a completely different standardized structure as to what people expect of the content to be. And so most of them try to carry that over to their writing in class and that it just, it doesn't work whatsoever. But then we also hit this spot where, you know, we grew up, we watch TV. It's not like we could interact and tell the people on TV what we thought about. But now they are so used to being able to comment about anything and everything with anything they think about. They do the same thing at school. It's I, I'm just going to say whatever comment comes to mind, no matter how ridiculous it is. Two things. American Idol ruined it for everybody. They don't give the audience a voice. They don't need to know. Actually, you know, grade people objectively based on their talent. Number two, yeah, they hide behind a keyboard so many times when they say something that in any other state of being would get them punched in the face. Yes. But now they're just like, oh, I'm just going to say this. And then you get in their face about it and they're like, wait. 
there's consequence to what I say? It's like, yes, there is. And you'll really learn that the hard way when you have a job one day and then all of a sudden you don't have one. I was saying a lot of that is starting to bleed over into yeah. their daily lives. It's gone from the occasional hiding behind the keyboard and saying something stupid or something horrible to saying it across the room or to somebody else. And, and of course, they don't care that everybody they're speaking to knows exactly who they are, whether they're online or in person. And it causes massive issues between students. Well, and it's, it's whatever filter that belongs between your head and your mouth. For a lot of them, and I'm sure it's brain development, probably half of it. I'm sure it's some of it's what they see. And to me, it was almost shocking how brazen they are at times. Because things, and I'm sure you and I and Mr. Adams, stuff that we would have normally had so many problems with if we just lived off and said that, that I still have to get used to because the hamster in my brain will lock up when I hear it and go, did you mean for all that to come out of your mouth like that? Or did it just fell out? What happened? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think something fell out of their ear and it was probably their brain but yeah I just, one of my, my favorite phrase to say to my students other than uh be quiet i can't hear the voices in my head guys if i wrote up everything that needed to be written up i'd be out of write-up slips before lunch oh yeah it was like the, the this what i hear walking down the hallway it's like anything that you just said could land you in in-school suspension for several days but you know what I, I don't have time to learn your name because i just left 30 kids in my room for two minutes so i can run to the bathroom on my in the class break and actually make it back in time well and that's what uh with all this with the technology the advent of it has is grown um now they can harass each other in class from a distance and all of a sudden you hear somebody get upset or mad because somebody said something or sent them a text or posted something online and you're and they go well you know they're not supposed to have this stuff out in class yes but i can only look one direction at a time and there are lots of blind spots and the kids learn those really fast uh, you know some of them are less intelligent than others they don't figure out the blind spots and they just think you're dumb and they hold it up in front of you but others figure out how to hide it very quickly. You know, I've had classes before where our girls had to stop. They couldn't put their purses on the desk because they would put their hands inside their purse. And then if you said something to them, they would just drop the phone and pull their hands out. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and so no matter how much technology moves along and makes things better, there's new problems that comes along with it all. I mean, if you look at the content that a lot of these kids look at online, it's not original content. It's somebody talking about somebody else's content or somebody talking about a movie or a TV show or a video game or something. And it's not some original material. It's just discussion and conversation about how much I either like or hate this. And it usually has a lot of foul language. That's something I, I never really could figure out is the one that always locked my brain up was them watching somebody play a video game. Which there's, I mean, nothing wrong with that, I guess. But then I'm sitting here going, it's like, that very same game. And it'd be a game on their phone. That exactly. They could be playing right exactly. there, but they're watching someone else do it. Like, isn't, this, isn't this stupid? No. I, mean, I don't want to watch my friends play a game. Exactly. Much was, less some stranger on the internet who's just, now, I mean, just like anybody else, I've, pro- I've looked up some stuff and gone, I cannot figure out this part of the game, this puzzle, this whatever. I'm stumped. I'm going to look it up. But as, as soon as I find that information, I'm done. 
I'm not going to sit there and watch the next hour of this guy running around all over a map. Water Temple. Uh, raids and Destiny. Have you played Destiny? No, but it's probably like those some of those puzzles in Tomb Raider where you're like, wait, what, where, where do you even find that snakehead? Where's that come? The ones in Tomb Raider always got me bad. I yeah. That's okay. I still got to look at Laura. Uh, one of the raids involved actually figuring out a secret code that they had written into an earlier part of the game that if you didn't have the answers to that code, when you went into the dungeon, you couldn't get to where you needed to go. And that's when 99% of the people go, okay, who's figured out the code? Thank you. Because I'm not going to sit down and crack that code. But you'd be amazed at the number of people in these games that they'll put out something and they will sit down and spend days and days working to actually crack this code so they can get the information they need. And of course, they're going to share it immediately because the first, first person who cracks it gets the views. Yep. And so... And that, that was another thing I told them. I was like, you don't understand. I was like, my average day is about eight to nine hours. If I stay afterwards, grade papers, put grades in, make sure I got all my stuff ready for the next day, get a study guide ready or something. That's it. YouTubers, all the ones I know, on average, do a 10-hour day because they constantly have to stay on the next new thing. They have to constantly be aware of it, start producing content. They have to edit it. They have to adding graphics, sound effects, all this stuff. And then they have to, you know, do their opener or whatever. And then you do realize it's like several days. And I was like, these people who post a video or two every day, they probably get five, six hours of sleep a night. And they might forget to eat lunch most days because they're so just they know that the views are their meal ticket. And if that doesn't get through, they don't get all that money. Or they even have people who work for them who do the editing, producers, those types of things. You would think about a normal TV show would have producers and directors and all that kind of thing. But now even YouTube shows about games and different stuff, they have, they may have a full team behind them working camera and the sound and editing and animations and all that. One of my favorites is a uh, channel, and she's great. It's called um, How to ADHD. She's a girl woman with ADHD that started out in Hollywood acting and... The ADHD was so bad that she had to get out of it. And so she has her channel. It's been going for about five years now, apparently. And her videos are not long, which is good because people with ADHD are not going to watch an hour-long video. Um, But she has animators, somebody who's working the camera. She has editors. She works with other content people to get information and things. She has to track down people to interview uh, doctors and other people, people who produce software and games and all this stuff to help out. It's a crap ton of work. Like BuzzFeed. Everybody's, oh, look at the BuzzFeed this They have entire systems of people. And it's a, you know, it's a whole company of folks that are working full-time jobs just so they can get their videos up and they can get their stuff through uh, those kinds of media platforms if it's not you know youtube it'll be instagram if it's not instagram it's snapchat that kind of thing. all right and we're gonna start wrapping up now we've been going for quite a while anybody have any final thoughts they'd like to throw out there all right and if you get the chance uh check us out on substack we are at educationsubstack.com and we appreciate you and hope you'll come back to listen to us next time Our next episode will be about the influence of social media on kids in the classroom. And as we go, we will try to become a little bit more focused. 
I don't guarantee anything's going to happen on that front, but we're going to try. Thank you, and you have a great day. Education. The good, the bad, and the what the f***.